All right, grab your Bibles. You can find one in the pew if you need one. Open an app, whatever you need to do to get the Word of God before you. We're going to be finishing up chapter 11 of uh, Luke today. Uh, and as you're heading that way, let me remind you what's going on, because we're kind of right in the middle of a scene where we stopped, right? Uh, uh, a Pharisee has invited Jesus to a meal at his house, and before eating, as the, uh, the tradition of the Pharisees was that you wash your hand ritually to be clean, and Jesus doesn't do so, uh, and, and so they, they ask him about it, right? This is not a command of God, but a, a command of the Pharisees, and, and because of that, they question Jesus about it, and, and he kind of just rips into them, you might say, right? For good reason, but, but he rips into them, and he's, he's, he's pointing out uh, about how they're looking clean to uh, how they care so much about looking clean to others, and they have very very little to no concern about their hearts actually being clean. And then uh, Jesus then directs three, three woes at the Pharisees, right? And when Jesus is using this word woe, uh, it's, uh, you got to think of it this way. It's this sorrowful, uh, emotionally charged response that communicates something along the lines of, you know, can't you see God's judgment is upon you, right? So that's, that's kind of what's going on there. And, and so Jesus... Uh, Jesus woes them for hypocrisy, and Jesus woes them for pride and self-exaltation, right? They, they want to be greeted and have the best seats and greeted in the marketplace with elaborate greetings. And then Jesus woes them a third time, calling them unmarked graves because uh, they not only are, are defiled themselves by the way that they, they live and the way that they approach God and, and, and their hypocrisy and such, but, but they're also defiling others, those who are, are, are following them, those who are... Uh, following their example are, are defiled as well. And so that's where we are, right? And it's in the middle of this meal, and all this has been said, um, you know, and, and this has been said to the Pharisees and all the Pharisees' friends who are there. You can imagine it's a little awkward at this point because the meal's not over yet, um, and, and we can't know for sure, but I kind of imagine there's this moment of silence here as, as the group just processes what, what Jesus has said. And, and wondering who, who's going to respond to that. What do we do with this? This is really weird. Um, and, and we're going to then get to that, what happens right after that in our passage. So uh, we're going to read it in two segments, one big section and one little bitty section today. Uh, and we're picking up right in that awkward moment in verse 45. So follow along as I read. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are a witness and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we are more often more like the Pharisees and lawyers than we, we wish to admit. And, and maybe that's why events like this have been recorded in your word for us, a sort of mirror so that we can, can look into the mirror and, and make changes. So 
We'll wipe our, our faces clean so we'll learn better what it means to be a child of God, a disciple of Jesus, to, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, enlighten our minds for learning this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so after Jesus has dropped those three woes on the Pharisees, this lawyer speaks up and he probably regrets speaking up. Uh, I can only imagine what his friends said to him in the weeks and days that followed. Uh, so anyway, he does speak up and he says something along the lines of, you know, hey now, Jesus, you, you tread lightly because I don't think you realize it, but you're, you're offending us also, not just the Pharisees, but, but we lawyers, right? And it tells you a little bit about what they thought of themselves as lawyers there, right? And I, I suppose he expected Jesus, maybe he's going to walk it back a little bit or, or maybe clarify, well, I don't mean to offend you, it's more the Pharisees, some, some sort of clarification here. And, and that's not what happens at all. You, you can almost picture, right, Jesus' eyes moving from, from the Pharisee to the lawyer in this, this kind of Gandalf-like stare, like focus, right, as it, it moves from one guy to the next guy. And, and so Jesus then decides, you know, let's just offend everyone in the room. Uh, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Just let's, let's complete this. Uh, you know, and he pronounces these three more woes, these, these specifically for the lawyers at, at this point. Uh, and, and now, don't hear this, right? I, I think it's, there's some of us that hear like he just offends everyone. You're like, yes, license for me to go out and offend everybody I know. You're a moron and you're an ugly and your theology is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And you just think, I'm going to go on a tear because Jesus went on a tear on these guys. No. There, there is, it's okay to offend people with the truth in love. This is not a license for you to just go, go crazy offending people. I see some of you smiling, disappointed that that was not licensed for that. <laughs> now, Jesus is definitely offending him, right? But he's not doing so in arrogance or pride. His goal is not just to tear them apart. He has good purpose for it. He's, he's doing it for the glory of God. He's doing it for the spiritual good of the lawyers and, 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 any, you know, and for anyone that's been following these lawyers. And, and don't get creative, right? This is not an excuse. Uh, you know what it means to tell the truth and lie. Uh, sorry, to tell the truth in love. Anyway, so, so then the first woe that Jesus says here is because, and, and here's a quote, you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers, right? Not even a little bit. Uh, first of all, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I think it's worth mentioning again. The, these lawyers are not lawyers in the way that we think of lawyers today, right? These are not lawyers that are suing over accidents or handling tax cases or domestic uh, issues of su or such like that. Don't, don't think Harvey Specter or Matlock or Alicia Florek or even Vinnie Gambini. Any of you even know who G Vinnie Gambini is? No. No. <laughs> who? Who is he? Yes, my cousin Vinny. Okay, the best TV lawyer ever. So anyway, <laughs> he's not like any of these TV lawyers that we tend to think of. It. That's not what we have in mind here. The, these lawyers are, are scholars of the Old Testament, of the scriptures as, as Jesus knew them, right? Uh, the lawyers would study the word of God and then they would interpret the law, the law of God and, and, this is, and tell people this is how you live this out in, in your daily life. And so what, what the Pharisees, right, they're, they're the ones who got the first three woes, the Pharisees uh, are, are a group of Jews that are similar to a denomination today. Uh, there were other groups of Jews also, the Essenes, the Sadducees, a few others that you don't even know about. Uh, but similar to a denomination, a lawyer was a professional occupation. And, and so some lawyers were Pharisees, but not all of them. Some of them were not Pharisees. 
the, the best modern example I've heard of this is that the Pharisees are, are a lot like fundamentalist Baptists, and, and the lawyers are like seminary professor, for professors. And so some seminary professors are fundamental Baptists also, uh, but others of them aren't, okay? Uh, so then you see that the, these lawyers are, are supposed to be these, these spiritual leaders explaining the word of God to the people of God so they can understand it and, and such. Unfortunately, though, here, here they are. They're interpreting the law in, in light of, of the Pharisees' extra-biblical traditions or even their own extra-biblical traditions. And, and the result of all this is just this crushing burden on the backs of the people of God. That, that this law that's impossible to keep becomes even more impossible to keep. And everything they do just feels like they, they, they can't actually succeed in anything. It's just a huge crushing weight. For, for example, Exodus 28, right? Uh, and within the Ten Commandments says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so the obvious question becomes, okay, how do we keep it holy, right? And uh, further down, you can learn that it talks about rest and a few other things. Well, uh, the lawyers then give all sorts of answers. And those answers became this, this requirement that's now on par with keeping the fourth commandment. You either obey it the way we say to do it, or you have failed to obey the fourth commandment. So in order to keep the Sabbath as a day of rest, they, you know, one of the rules they made that I thought was really interesting is you, you can carry a spoon. I don't know why you need to. But you can carry a spoon so long as it does not weigh more than one fig, right? So here you are trying to follow the Sabbath, and you've got your spoon and your fig, and you're like, I think so. Uh, you know, and, and it's just weird rules like that. Now, you also know that people are prone to always, always looking for loopholes and rules, some way to get around the rules. Um, our, our, our children... Uh, when they were very young, they, they had to stay in their bed after they were tucked in at night. You couldn't just get up and go about and do whatever you want to do and that sort of thing. And our first two children, you know, took that and, and handled it well. They just stayed in their bed like they were supposed to do. Uh, the youngest one, though, found a loophole pretty quick when she was little. One morning we came in to her room and, and found that uh, her plastic bed that she slept in with the mattress inside of it uh, was now across the room. Uh, against a dresser and all of her diapers and clothes and everything are, are thrown about and so you can imagine we're pretty upset when we walk in and see this because we just had the talk the night before you can't get out of your bed uh, she was struggling to learn that and, and we, we, we told her again you know Berkeley you are not supposed to get out of bed and, and she just began to explain you could see she was upset even you know because she's telling us I, I didn't get out of bed I pushed my bed across the room like, and her thought was, I really stayed in my bed. I was kind of in my bed, and I pushed it across the room to go and destroy the rest of everything, right? That's a natural legalist, finding these loopholes, right? These are the rules, and these are the rules for us. That, that, that's how these lawyers handled the law for themselves. For, for example, that they had determined, again, that, that on the Sabbath, you, you couldn't tie a knot because tying a knot would be work. Now, if they wanted to go get water out of a, a well, they, they couldn't do that because it required tying a knot, your bucket, onto the rope that goes down into the well. Uh, however, a woman could tie a knot, the knot on her girdle, right? I'm doing this. I don't even know if I know what a girdle is. Uh, a woman could tie a knot on her girdle. And so a lawyer figured out if they needed to get water out of the well on the Sabbath, even though no one else could do it, uh, they could get around it by, by taking a girdle out there, which, again, I should probably know what this is. 
um, a girdle out there and using the girdle to tie a knot on their, their bucket onto the, the rope in order to be able to go and get that. These are the ways that you could actually work around these little things. And so you can start to see, yeah, that's one of them, right? And we've seen two of them now with the spoon. You start to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. This is the crushing boulder that's being weighed on people. And meanwhile, they're not doing anything at all to try to keep this, right? Um, they, 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 the end result here is what happens is that uh, the lawyers and, and the people trying to follow the laws as they interpret them, they, 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 they become so far from actually caring about God's actual word at that point because they're so focused on the rest of it. Now, um, ask Travis some time about his time at Bob Jones University because uh, the university had, had lawyer-like rules that were all these extreme weird rules. And the students were so focused on obeying these school rules or in Travis's case, not obeying these school rules or getting around them somehow. Uh, anyway, that students didn't even consider, you know, what, what does God call me to live like? What, what does a life according to the scriptures following the Lord Jesus actually look like? Because they're so focused on these, these other rules that have been added and piled up on top of them. And so with, with all these tiny details, then the lawyers have placed this, this boulder sized burden on the shoulder of these people to carry around until the burden just crushes them. So, so Jesus then is not only calling them out for, for giving this heavy, heavy burden, but, but because the lawyers themselves, right, won't even lift one finger, right, tiny little amount to try to follow these rules themselves. Somehow, they just consider themselves exempt from it. Now, it, it is a shameful sin to teach others what you fail to, to seek to obey yourself. Now, that's not to say you've got to be perfect in some way, right? That you have to do it perfect. But, but if you're going to teach someone, you must first, uh, you, you must at least be, be willing, uh, that, that it be your own desire, your own pursuit. It, it must be what you're seeking after yourself. Otherwise, it's, it's incredibly shameful. And, and so then, do, do we ever handle God's word like lawyers ourselves? Biblical lawyers here. I mean, certainly we can, we can look back to some previous generations, right? Where, where churches forbid their, uh, the congregants from, from going to movies, right? Or listening to, to rock music or uh, things of that nature, dancing. Uh, some, some Christians over the ages have uh, declared that drinking alcohol is a sin, despite God's word only declaring drunkenness a sin. But what about today, though? I mean, what are we running in today? What, are, what sort of behaviors might we look down on other Christians for that, that are, you know, beyond the commands of, of God's actual word? I know there's some groups on campus, at least by reputation, that, that look down on Christians who are dating in college as if that is a shameful thing to do in this moment of life. I think at different points, many of us will, will, will look down on people for the way they dress, right? We have this own definition of this is modesty. Anyone who, who wears this kind of clothing has, has therefore violated modesty and can't possibly be a Christian. Or, or when, we, when, when we elevate the morning devotional time to a requirement and instead of just a, a wise way for us to, to seek to spend time with the Lord and his word. Christians, we, we must be careful that, that we don't present to an unbeliever also this idea that, that Christianity is simply a, a set of rules to keep, right? Don't, don't cuss and, and don't get drunk and don't have sex out of marriage. This is Christianity. That, that's not Christianity. We, we, we need to be careful that we don't teach that obedience is, is the way that we gain God's love or his forgiveness. Now, listen to this. Uh, our obedience is a grateful response to God's merciful salvation but it is not the means to it. It's not. 
And so the first woe is, is for adding this crushing non-biblical or, biblical or extra-biblical burdens upon God's people. The, the second woe is their, appro- their two-faced approach to God's prophets. Uh, here's the deal. It can get a little confusing here. Now, the lawyers had built these monuments to the prophets, and these monuments were kind of like honorary tombs. We're going to recognize this is the place where, where these prophets are buried so that we can come and kind of give our respects and, and just kind of an honorary thing. And they actually, uh, you can still see one of them at the, at the Mount of Olives today. There's a, a, a monument there that, that claims that's where the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are buried, and people will visit it to this day. Now, it was considered this pious act that the lawyers were, were putting up their money and going out of their effort to build this monument. Like, oh, they must, they must really respect the, the prophets. And Jesus says that they're, they're just like their forefathers who, who were offended by the prophets and thus ultimately killed the prophets. And he's, he's comparing them to that. So, so still, you know, um, building the honorary tombs, that's not the issue that Jesus has with them here. The issue is that for, for, for the sake of public praise, they build these, right? For the sake of public praise, they're pretending to respect the prophets, but their life, if you, if you really look at the life of these, these lawyers, that way they, their life actually... Uh, refuses to listen to the words of the prophets. It refuses to listen to the words of God spoken through those prophets, rather. And so Jesus is saying, you, you lawyers, you, you think you're holy, you think you're pious, but, but you're just as corrupt as, the pro- as the, uh, your forefathers who killed the prophets. Right? You're just as corrupt as the people those prophets were speaking out against. And you can go through the list. Pride, check. Hypocrisy, Check. Injustice and corruption. Check. Oppression of the poor. Yes. Lack of genuine love for God. Check. In, in short, they honored the prophets with monuments, but they dishonored the prophets with their hearts and with their lives and the way they actually lived. And, and Jesus knows what, what they're going to do to him later, right? They're going to do the same thing that their forefathers did to the prophets who came speaking. And so here's Jesus, right? The, the final and ultimate prophet of God. And then they're going to reject him and they're going to hate him and they're going to kill him by crucifixion on a cross. And so then uh, the wisdom of God, you, you see quoted there, right? That referred to in verse 49 it is, the unwise, it is the wise counsel of God's sovereign will. If you're wondering where it's quoted from, uh, you're not alone. Everyone in history has wondered where it's quoted from because Jesus is clearly quoting it. And we have no idea where it comes from. But uh, anyway, he's saying here, remember the reason that God sent the prophets was, was to teach his people the will of God, to teach them his will. And, and of course, God knew that the prophets were going to be persecuted, that the prophets were going to be killed for the things they say. It was all part of God's sovereign plan, though. And, and yet those who did the killing, Jesus is saying here, are going to be held responsible. And when Jesus says that, right, from Abel to Zechariah, he's saying every prophet kills. Those are, those are bookends, if you, if you will, because uh, remember, Abel's the first person ever killed, right, ever murdered. Uh, and he's murdered by his brother because Abel's sacrifice, which is an animal sacrifice, is accepted by God. Meanwhile, meanwhile Cain's is not accepted by God. Right. And so you see there that's the, it's the first sign with the revelation here. It's the first sign that the blood atonement was necessary. And, and so angry at this revelation is Cain that he murders his brother. And that's the first one. The last prophet ever to be killed in, in, in the scriptures uh, is the prophet Zechariah. He was stoned to death in the courtyard, right, which is right outside of the temple. 
Uh, that's the explanation there. And the reason, right? Why? Why was he killed? Why, why are they all killed along the way? And the reason is this, because, because he was re- rebuking the people, God's people, because they were rejecting the word of God. Because they were rejecting the ways of God. And most of the prophets in between were also rejected by the Israelites. It's sad they, they reject the messengers, the very messengers who are, are bringing this message of repentance to them and, and a message of salvation to them. And, and as we've said, they're, they're soon going to reject Jesus as well, who, who also is bringing the, this true gospel message of salvation, who is the true gospel message of salvation. Now, do you remember who, who arrests Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane later? In the middle of the night, right? It's the Pharisees and the lawyers. It's this group, these people. They, they, they take Jesus to Pilate. They, they stir up the crowds against him. They, they demand the death of Jesus, right? Over against a, a known murderer. They themselves in that moment say what some people call the most chilling words ever spoken. In Matthew 27, 24, Pilate says of Jesus, I am innocent of this man's blood. Right? This is when he's, he's people pleasing and he's saying, I'll, I'll do what you want. We'll, we'll kill him. We'll crucify him, but I'm innocent of his blood. I'm doing it because you demand that. And and in the next verse, the people respond saying, and these are the chilling words right here. They say, his blood be on us and our children. They actually ask for the blood of Christ, right? We're going to be held responsible for that. They just go right into it. And so then verse 51 in our passage is Jesus confirming that indeed justice comes to those who reject Jesus, the ultimate prophet. That the message of salvation, right? Who who reject the the hope for sinners, the only hope for sinners. And and, and the lawyer here trusts in their righteousness, but what they don't seem to recognize is they don't actually have any righteousness. None of us do. And so then this this woe is, is for those that think that they're righteous because of their own works. Well, for any reason. For those who, who want to honor God with their, with their lip service, but who reject the prophets, who, re- who reject Jesus, who reject the gospel in, in every single era, including our own. And so then, how do we honor the prophets rightly? How, how could they have honored the prophets rightly as well? The, the simple answer is, is by doing Believing their words by doing what they call us to do, right? The, the way that we honor Hosea is to worship God with our love rather than merely our sacrifices. The way that we, we honor Amos is, is to give to the needy and to care for the poor. The way that we honor Micah is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. The, the way that we honor Habakkuk is to live by faith alone. And the way that we honor Jesus, the greatest of all prophets, is simply by confessing our sin and placing our faith in him and believing his word. It's by resting in, in his grace for us. And so then the, the last woe is this. Jesus says, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge and you did not enter. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. So let me, let me describe something for you here. Kids, you can play along with this too. You might be able to do this quicker. Um, here's what I'm describing. It's an animal about the size of a, a large shoe. Right? That's a, that's a technical term. Uh, it climbs trees. It has big teeth for crushing acorns and a poofy tail. Anybody know what I'm... What is it? Squirrel. Squirrel. Or a chipmunk. Or a chipmunk. It's a squirrel, right? Obviously. 
But, but what if a father, you know, he, some child keeps hearing that explanation and a child keeps telling his, his child, no, that describes a horse. That's a horse. That would be confusing, right? That'd be leading them astray. That, that would be taking away the key of knowledge. That, that would be leading your children in a, in a wrong and evil way. That, that's what the lawyers are doing here because they're supposed to be explaining the scriptures to the people, right? Just as in preaching today, the, the lawyer's job was to make the message of God from God's word real clear and simple and understanding Right. Understandable. They, they, they should be showing how God's word then points to salvation uh, that God is bringing in the Messiah. They right. They, they, that's but but here all they're doing right is, is they're explaining the scriptures with this this heavy burden of to be laid up on people. They're they're confusing things so that it, they can't see that, that who the Messiah is. Right. They're making the scriptures more confusing such that they don't understand salvation themselves. They they have no clue. But they're also hindering other people from, from, that are under their care from, from, from seeing the work of redemption that's unfolding right before their eyes in the person of Christ. And so the lawyers were adding layer upon layer of demands on the people when what they should have been doing is, is, is leading them to Christ, showing them in the scriptures who the Messiah is, pointing them to Jesus, the very man in front of them that they now hate. So are there ways that, that you and I hinder people from coming to Jesus in the same way. I mean, certainly when we, when we add works to faith, right? You, you have to trust in Jesus and pray this specific prayer. Or you have to, to dr- trust in Jesus and stop cussing. Or trust in Jesus and, and, well, anything else at all that we add to it. You know, even very good things that you might be adding to it. You don't add anything to the gospel. We also hinder people when we're more concerned with someone improving their moral choices long before we're even concerned about them trusting in the Lord Jesus. Right? There's that temptation. I want to say, you know what you need to do? You need to, just, you need to stop getting drunk on the weekends. That's the first thing you need to do. No. But the first thing they need is Jesus. We can talk about the drunkenness on the weekends a little later. But the first thing is you need to know who Jesus is and trust in him. Or, or what about this? Do, do we treat the Holy Scriptures as something to, to merely analyze and debate, right? Our, our source text for, for complex theological arguments, right? Or, or, or do, we, do we come to the Scriptures as God's Word to be known, to be believed, to, to obey, to be cherished, to be shaping our life? Discussing complex theological arguments, fine. Don't, don't feel guilty for that. But, but only secondary to, to your willingness to submit yourself to God's Word. Right. One more. Uh, we, we may hinder the gospel, hide the key of knowledge when we are simply apathetic or indifferent to the condition of our friends and family and neighbors, their souls. When we don't even bother to talk about Jesus or we don't even bother to pray for them as if as if none of the stuff we're learning about Christ in the scripture even is real or matters. We don't even bother. Now, I'd encourage us to, to ask the Lord in our specific lives so through prayer. You know, is there, are there any ways that we're hindering others from hearing the message of salvation that is given through Christ and his word? And so then that's the woes given to the lawyers. And can you imagine how awkward it is around that table right now? Well, like, Jesus is one tough dude that you can handle all the hatred at this moment that is directed at him. And, you know, does Anyone else offended? We can deal with that. 
Right? Is he asking, are we, we having dessert? Is this the end? What's, what do we do now? We, we, we don't know what happens here, but, but here's, what, you know, here's what happens after Jesus leaves. If you've got your Bible still open, follow along. Uh, I'm going to read these last two verses beginning in 53, and it says this. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. What would we expect, though, right? How do we expect them to respond? Thank you, Jesus. You've clearly pointed out some issues we have, and we're going to make some changes best we can. That's not really human nature, is it? We, we, we don't expect that. It's, it's not a shock at all that they're bitter and they, and they wish only to, to bust Jesus saying something wrong now. No, no one ever thanks the officer for, for pointing out how you've been, you know, your failure to drive under the speed limit, do you? Oh, thank you, officer. Plus, we, we, we know that they're prideful, right? We've already had that identified to us. And pride always creates resistance to change when, when God's word convicts us for something. But, but really, how should we respond when God's word shows us our sin? How should we respond when we are convicted in that way? Now, if I printed the bulletin later in the week, I, I would have made one, one change to that outline that you see in there. Uh, I would have made point four, or IV, right? Roman numerals for those. Uh, it would have been just called the last woe. And, and here's why. How, how many woes did we see Jesus give to the Pharisees last week? Three. Yes, three. Very good. Uh, and how many woes did the, see the, Jesus say to the lawyers this week? Three. Okay, my math people, what have we got here? How many total woes have we seen? Six. Six. Amazing. Okay. That is amazing math. So did you know in Isaiah chapter 5, God through the prophet Isaiah pronounces six woes on his people there. Six of them calling out all the wickedness in their life. And you can go read that sometime in Isaiah 5 if you want. Uh, and, and so there's six woes that are given by God in, in, in Isaiah chapter 5. And we see six woes that are uh, given by Jesus here in Luke chapter 11. Now, in our passage... There is not a seventh woe, but in the very next chapter of Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, there is one more woe. Only this woe is not spoken by God to his people. This woe is spoken by Isaiah the prophet upon himself. Does anyone remember what, what woe Isaiah pronounces in Isaiah 6.5? Woe is me. There's a seventh woe there. Woe is me. And he goes on. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah hears all this. He's the prophet, but he's also God's people here. And Isaiah isn't offended by God pointing out his sin. Isaiah is broken by it. Isaiah is, is humbled by it. He's contrite in heart. And Isaiah repents of that sin, and he was saved. The Pharisees and the lawyers in Luke 11 could have also confessed their sin and repented. And in, in that way, they, they would have honored the prophets and rightly responded to the Lord and been saved as they, they trusted in the Lord Jesus. But, but they don't. And their rejection of Jesus is cosmically tragic. Right? Because there's only six woes here. We never see a seventh. But let me, let me ask you, what, what are you going to do, you know, as a Christian or as someone who's not and are just exploring this, what are you going to do when, when God's word offends you? When it offends your behavior, 
Something you like, right? When it offends your thought life or your values, or, or, or maybe someone explains it as offending your gender, when it, it offends you for your greed or your racism or your pride or your ideas about what you think God should be, what are you going to do when God's word offends you? When, 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 God, uh, when, when God's word offends your sexual ethics or calls you to a different way of life? Truly, really, what are you going to do? Are you going to seek to silence the word of God? To, to write it off as, as old-fashioned or irrelevant or maybe too confusing to really know for sure what we're talking about here? Or, or are you going to say, and, and, and this is a quote from Philip Reichen, are we, are we going to say something like this? Woe is me, Lord, for I am the heartless legalist. I am the hateful rebel who hinders people from coming to Christ. God, save me by the cross where my sins sent Jesus to die. But brothers and sisters, on the cross... On, the, on that cross, the greatest of all of God's prophets ever lays down his life. He took the woe of our sin upon himself. And in the, in the mercy, uh, you know, he took the woe upon himself. And, and, and by the mercy of that cross, we may be saved from our rebellious, self-righteous sins. But it means that we trust in Jesus. Constantly. That's, that's our hope, is that we trust in Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Father, change our hearts. Give us a great love for you and your word. Give us love for others. Give us a sense of joy to live under your yoke with your burden, which is light. And Father, if we find ourselves in your, in your word frustrated because it offends us, would you work in us by the Holy Spirit that we would, we would not respond like the, the lawyers and the Pharisees that we, we can be so like, but that we would respond like, like we see Isaiah, broken and contrite, and asking for, for you to bring us into conformity to it, for your glory, for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.